Good morning and welcome to the July 11, 2023 regular meeting of the Calaveras County Board of Supervisors. Um, we will be going into closed session. Madam Clerk, can you please read off the three items we have for closed session? Closed session for today, Tuesday, July 11th, item one, pursuant to government code 54957.6, conference with county designated labor negotiators, Shay Johnson and Judy Hawkins regarding the following employee organizations, Sheriff's Management Unit, Deputy Sheriff's Association. Item two, pursuant to government code 54956.9D1, conference with legal counsel regarding existing litigation, service employees, International Union Local 1021 versus County of Calaveras, PERB, unfair practice charge number SACE1197M. Item three, pursuant to government code 54956.9D1, Conference with Legal Counsel, Re-Existing Litigation, Murray versus County Workers' Compensation Appeals Board case number ADJ 1350788. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Are there any public comments on this item in the room? Seeing none in the room, are there any online? There are none online. Okay, with that, we will go into closed session. Good morning and welcome to the July 11, 2023 regular meeting of the Calaveras County Board of Supervisors. Can you, if you can, please stand for the pledge? Supervisor Hubbardy, can you please lead us? Thank you, sir. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. And we had closed session prior to this. Uh, Madam Clerk, can you please read out from the closed session? Yes. Closed session item one, pursuant to government code 54957.6, conference with county designated labor negotiators Shay Johnson and Judy Hawkins regarding the following employee organization, Sheriff's Management Unit, Deputy Sheriff's Association, board action, no reportable action taken. Item two, pursuant to government code 54956.9D1, conference with legal counsel regarding existing litigation, service employees, international local 1021 versus County of Calaveras, EERB, unfair practice charge number SACE1197M, by a motion by Supervisor Stopper and seconded by Supervisor Garamendi as a 4-0 vote, board action approved settlement agreement agreeing to provide records of explanation within 10 days and demissing charge. 
Item 3, pursuant to Government, Co government Code 54956.9D1, Conference with Legal Counsel, Re-Existing Litigation, Murray v. County Workers' Compensation, Appeals Board, Case Number ADJ1350788, Board Action, No Reportable Action Taken. Thank you, Madam Clerk. We'll move on to the staff announcements. Are there any staff announcements in the room? I see Jennifer, her free, I don't want to say dump day, but it was free clean day. Clean. Uh, oh, free recycling day, yes. Uh, good morning, uh, Chair Toffinelli, respective members of the board. Jennifer Cashy, uh, Director of Integrated Waste Management. Uh, last weekend, last Saturday, we had our first re free recycling day in West Point. It was very successful. We saw about 92 cars, collected 100 mattresses. It was the first time we filled a mattress trailer at an event. We filled it in three and a half hours. Um, 214 appliances and 95 tires. Um, it was really successful. So um, I just want to remind everybody we'll have another one on Saturday. It's in Arnold. So I hope everybody can you know spread the word and uh, remind those that are up the Highway 4 corridor that we will be at the Hazel Fisk Fisher Elementary School um, holding another uh, recycling event. Um, so we're on the, uh, we're going through the series and it sounds like they're all gonna be just as successful as they were last time and maybe even more successful because we have such nice weather um, to hold these events and we're not in a, in a, in a storm and a snowstorm and yeah. everything else. So um, we're looking forward to it and we appreciate all the West Point residents coming out and taking advantage of it. Um, I also wanted to touch real quick um, on, I just wanted to actually, you know, share some gratitude um, from last board meeting. Um, I felt like, you know, my staff and our team kind of had I feel like they needed their own special moment, and today I wanted to come back and, um, you know, just express my gratitude and 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 from the landfill staff, they've been awesome um, through our prop. 218 process, you know, they were more than happy to educate um, our residents, answer questions. They went above and beyond, and I really appreciate um, not only were they doing their daily job, but they were also uh, very receptive to any questions that may come up. Um, and then from my admin staff, a huge shout out to them. They were able to just, you know, step up and, and even the bigger like recognition to Megan Osborne, she really kind of brought it in for us and she you know implemented procedures and processes that we hadn't seen before and she was just always um, ready to take that next challenge and of course county council they were amazing and you know I refer you know to them as dream team because um, it really was it was it was seamless and we worked so well together and I couldn't be more proud of the team that we had um, working through that it was just it was awesome so um, just wanted to share that, take a moment, and recognize everybody that really went above and beyond and came from a place of just doing the right thing. And the right thing's not always easy, but um, it's important. So thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Good job. Are there any other staff announcements in the room? Hearing none, is there any online? There are no online staff announcements. All right. We will move on to the next item on the agenda, which is general public comment. Any item interest to the public that is within the subject matter or jurisdiction of the board and is not posted on the consent or regular agendas may be addressed during the public comment period. 
California law prohibits the board from taking any action on any matter which is not posted on the agenda unless it is determined to be an emergency by the Board of Supervisors. If public comment is completed before the 30-minute allotted time period, the board may immediately move on to the next order of business. If public comment is not completed during an allotted time period, it will be continued as the last item of business in order to provide an opportunity for the remainder of the public comments to be heard. Are there any public comments in the room? Come on up to the microphone podium. Thank you, Supervisors. My name is Joseph Boers. Um, I'm a 14-year resident of Calaveras County and uh, currently in District 4. I see Amanda's not here, but... Um, and I'm the Executive Director of Amador Tuolumne Community Action Agency. Uh, I've been the ED for about four and a half years now. And um, maybe you can help me out at the end of this where the appropriate place to hopefully make a presentation to you would be. But um, I got a call from Corey Allen about I don't know, a month ago. And Corey was asking, um, Joe, can you share with me what APCA does in Calaveras County? Right? Amador Tuolumne, right? And so nobody thinks that we do anything in Calaveras County, but in fact, you've got item 11 on the agenda here, which is going to be a $282,000 contract with HHS that is facilitated through APCA as a part of the uh, Central Sierra Continuum of Care. And we probably do you know, anywhere from three-quarters of a million to $2 million worth of business with Calaveras County serving constituents within the county. So I sat down with her last Friday, and we, we had lunch, and I talked to her about the programs that we do. And what became apparent to me is that the Board of Supervisors may not know what we do in Calaveras County. So what I'd like to do for, for you and for the constituents, whoever it is that might be tuning in here, is make a presentation, maybe 10, 12 minutes, minutes for, for question and answers if you'd like, uh, about what we do in, in Calaveras County so that, so that you're aware of it and um, your constituents are more uh, aware of it. So I didn't know if, if the, I'm not prepared today to do that, but. Um, I can talk about the numerous programs that we have that supports Calaveras County, the dollar amounts, the performance, how long we've been doing it. Um, so would, would, would it be appropriate to do it during the comment period, or is it appropriate to do it at like, a special... Have, I'll, I'll answer your question real quick here. You sure. only have three minutes to speak during public comment period. There's a timer in front of you right there. Got it, one minute. So if you want to do a presentation, you, you, have, you should get with... Corey and Teresa, okay. and have it set up so we can get it on the agenda. Great. And, and they can see your presentation and help you with getting it done and what you want to do. So if Love you to do that. them afterwards, contact them afterwards, and sure. we'll get you on the agenda. Can I just hand you my card right now? Is that okay? Um, the last thing is, and I was hoping Amanda was here. I know Amanda and Supervisor Huberty are both on the CMCA. Um, I don't believe the, the CMCAA has a good feel for, and I can see we've got a number of CMCAA people here. Um, I think they, they might have been worried about what I was going to say, but um, I'd like to get on the board agenda for the CMCAA so I can present something there. So, um, Stacy, um, if you'd get me on the board agenda for the next meeting, I'd, I'd love to do that. And that's it for me. 
Thank you, Joe. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Mm -hmm. Any other public comments in the room? Seeing none, are there any online? There are no online public comments. Okay, we will move on from public comment to the consent agenda. The consent agenda items are expected to be routine and non-controversial. They will be acted upon by the board at one time without discussion. Any board member, staff member, or interested party may request removal of an item from the consent agenda for later discussion. And I understand that uh, item number four was, wants to be pulled. So um, is there anybody from staff that would like to pull an item? I would like to pull item four, please. Okay, so Stacy, item four. Is there any board member wish to pull an item? Hearing none, is there any member of the public that would like to pull an item off the consent? None in the room, are there any online? No, there are no online requests. Okay, so we'll bring it back to the board. I'm open for the motion for the consent minus item number four. Uh, I would like to move the remainder of the consent minus item number four, Mr. Chair. I'll second. I have a motion by the Supervisor Stopper, second by Supervisor Hubbardy. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Passes 401. We will now move to item number four. Stacy, you have some comments on that item? Yes, there's a, a couple of clerical um, changes that need to be made. Um, and the last sentence, just above public comment, I'm removing the word contingency um, to say TOT budget. So the sentence will read additionally to put 212,000 in the parks and recreation line item for TOT budget from TOT budget. Then on page six of the minutes, um, I'm removing the word in contingencies. So as uh, Supervisor Garamendi proposed the 212,000 Removing in contingencies be used for the park and recs operation. Supervisor Hubbardy and Supervisor Stopper support the proposal. And then also um, just a correction in a name, uh, Morgan Gache. I had her name incorrectly spelled under public comment. Okay. Is there any public comments on those changes? Is there any online? There are none online. Okay, I'll bring it back to the board. Is there any board comments, or can I get a motion for item number four with those changes? So moved. Motion by Supervisor Garamendi. Second. Second by Supervisor Stopper. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Passes 401. Thank you. All right. Do you need any time, Doug, to set up? Sure. It is, and I have it. Can we take a ready. couple minute break? Yeah, two minutes would be great. It's ready to go. Okay. All right. Let's get cracking. All right, we'll move on to the regular agenda. The only item we have today on the regular agenda is item number 18. This is an informational item from the building department. Here a presentation and provide direction on the streamlining of building department's review requirements for agricultural and similar structures. 
Mr. Oliver, you are up. It says Julie Moss is supposed to be here with us, but she must be on Zoom. Thank you, Chairman, members of the board. Good morning. Doug Oliver, Chief Building Official. What we bring to you today is um, uh, the results of a lot of studying and some research about what we can do to try and expedite permits. Now, initially, the thought was um, for agricultural structures, we wanted to exempt them from permits because of the low hazard or low risk of the occupants, that sort of thing. Uh, but in, in the research, a lot came out of this. So what I want to share with you is, is what we found and what we can do and in, in policy and procedure and get some guidance from you. Uh, so without any further uh, gilding to Lily Hill, we'll jump right in. So our goal here, we're, we're reviewing and discussing current building permit processes and the history of what we call so-called ag exemptions. Uh, we'll get into the what were considered ag exemptions in other counties. Identify potential options for further streamlining and discuss procedural options, uh, requirements for implementing board direction. And what type of internal policy or, or how, how your board wants to move forward if you prefer a resolution or ordinance to that effect. Uh, current building code has an exemption for certain types of structures from building permits, specifically one-story structures that are uh, 120 square foot maximum, uh, sheds, playhouses, and similar. Um, that doesn't exempt it from electrical code or mechanical code requirements. So if, if, for instance, someone wants to build a 10 by 12 building on their property, they're free to do so. But if they put electrical in it, we would need to get a permit for that electrical system. You'd need to make sure that the building was constructed so that by its own construction, it wouldn't damage said electrical. Um, and that also doesn't exempt it from the building code. You just aren't required to have a permit. So if we see something that was built that is built in a dangerous fashion, we can always come back and try and encourage them to comply just to make the building safe. But once again, that, the building that size would not require a building permit. What we've done in the county two code cycles ago is we adopted Appendix C of the building code and we carried it over this year in our code adoption. And what that recognizes is agricultural uses under the occupancy type of U, which is a miscellaneous use. Um, U structures typically are topped out at about 3,000 square feet, but under this uh, appendix, that allows us to extend the square footage for agricultural uses out to a maximum of 12,000 without needing things like sprinklers, firewalls, things like that. And, and once again, that's, that's a, a, an option allowed by the state for us to adopt in recognition of the, the low hazard types of uses that, uh, that a U occupancy in an ag environment would represent. Uh Doug, you mentioned electrical on this Appendix C. Mm -hmm. um, does that also include plumbing? Yes, yeah. yes. Any, so, any, any any trade that you would trigger a permit on, we would handle that separately. No, thank you. Okay, so there are several counties, the 12 counties that we found that on the books, they have uh, what they call an ag exemption. Um, they essentially would limit the... Uh, the square footage, and some of them limited by zoning, some of them did not, they just limited by use and location. Um, and they said that, you know, if you follow this process, we're exempting you from a, a permit. Um, a rose by any other name, they're still requiring an application, they're still requiring a site plan, 
in many cases. Uh, some of them did just wholesale say, we don't want to see them, but most of them had a process you had to go through. It just streamlined it significantly and in manners that, that by the current code aren't arguably uh, compliant with state law. Uh, there was two ways that these ordinances were written. One of them was an amendment to the building code uh, where every, every three years when the code is adopted, they would add a amendment to the code to reduce the code requirements. And then uh, the other one was a separate code adoption entirely where they would just put it on the books permanently regardless of the code addition these exemptions uh, took precedent. Um, they typically would streamline the process by eliminating the need for a permit or eliminate the need for plan review, eliminating inspections, or a combination thereof. <clears throat> the problem is the state codes are a minimum standard, which means that anything it, is mandated in the code we are required to observe. You can't take anything out of the code, but there's plenty of, of, of law to suggest that any state uh, subdivision, so cities and counties, can add restrictions where you can find reasons climatically, topographically, geographically that this is necessary, but you can't take anything away. There's a but, there's a lot of flexibility uh, that a building department can do based on the type of project. Um, there's some additional flexibility for ag structures by virtue of putting in that appendix. But in addition, we do have other options such as alternate materials and methods. Um, we have accepted inspection reports from approved agencies. We can say, we're not gonna do the inspection, but you provide us the inspection information to show that it was done through a third party. We can write waive construction documents. That's one thing we can do. Um, and phase document submittals is something else. So in that, in that phase document submittals are often when you have uh, more complex structures where uh, the need to begin construction is great enough that we phase the project through the various inspection types so that as they're preparing to go to the next step, plans are coming in, we're verifying it complies with what they've previously constructed. So we, there's a lot that we can do there, but those, the phase documents are usually when there's, there's more complexity and we're trying to facilitate construction and, and that's usually reserved for economic development priorities and things like that where we know this is gonna generate jobs, there's a low risk in, to the public as far as safety, uh, and, and we're trying to keep that project rolling forward. What we can't do is waive any requirements. And there are required inspections. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're always required to do a foundation inspection. What we're saying is if a foundation is part of your project, we are required to inspect it. So the, the requirements they're outlined here are straight out of the building code and, and energy code and any, any any of the code documents that were adopted by the the building standards commission and we have subsequently adopted we're obligated to do these inspections sir so, something that mr Popham brought up earlier thanks i appreciate that i'll start over Something that Mr. Tocanelli brought up earlier, and it kind of applies to this, um, he brought up ele electrical and plumbing, and mm -hmm. the, those are triggers for, for an inspection, you know, because they're 
part of these applicable things. You don't say those specifically here, but they're they're uh, they're they're uh, building standards for safety. Yeah. So well, uh, go. I'm sorry. My my point being is, why wouldn't ag um, an agriculture greenhouse mm -hmm. ever be a consideration? I don't know one type of greenhouse that wouldn't have one bit of plumbing in it. So what is the way around that? And what do other counties do that, you know, because you have to have water in a greenhouse, right? What's the, you grow stuff in a greenhouse. No, that's, that's, that's a, a good point. So what the, the required inspections we showed here were directly out of the building code and the energy efficiency one is, is uh, also linked to the energy code. We, these are just examples to be brief, every uh, every one of the codes have when inspection is required. So, for instance, in the electrical code has here the the types that are, you need to get permits for. Plumbing code is the same. You do have exemptions in the plumbing code itself, and we also have exemptions in the building code for limited amounts of work. So, for instance, plumbing um, in the building code would identify if you're doing repairs uh, to existing structures or you're replacing plumbing fixtures but not the piping, you don't need a permit. Well, the plumbing code itself would identify that domestic water systems will require a building permit. There's some ambiguity on irrigation systems. So irrigation systems alone, if it's not also serving a bathroom, right? Uh, we can say, the, you know, we, we, they still have to follow the code as far as the installation of the materials. We still have to make sure that there are uh, backflow preventers and check valves to make sure there's no contamination of a domestic water system. But some components of irrigation are exempt from a permit. Okay. That's a good start. We'll talk about Very good. So uh, we recognize with any project, time is money. Um, if you re if we re recognize a reduced hazard in specific structures and acknowledging low risk, uh, we can streamline the process by reducing the amount of information being provided to us and therefore it reduces our time to do the review which reduces the permit fee. Um, ultimately, by reducing the review, we're affecting everything downstream as far as cost. The only component, and I don't think I've addressed it here, that I do want to comment on it now, we're pushing the, the verification of compliance to the inspection rather than the plan review. And so I, I hesitate to recommend it ever because a customer who comes into the office seeking a permit and inspections, uh, in many cases, like homeowners and, and individuals who aren't really skilled in construction or trying to get something built on their property, we usually facilitate the project by working with them at the counter to get them to understand you know, the, the specific components that have to be met before they build, because if we don't, they have to correct it after it's built at a higher cost. So we want to make sure that this is, this is really something for people who generally have a working knowledge of construction, especially related to agricultural structures, and that way we can pull back some of the review requirements because they expect us to see this stuff in the field and we expect them to understand how to build it. Okay, and I, I like this, this particular slide means a lot to me, appropriate care. Um, 
we have to stick with the intent of the code when we move forward on any one of these streamlining projects. And we have to make sure that we hit all of all of the items under that intent. And I've, I've shared this slide a few times with you and I'll continue doing that because it's, what, it, it's, a, it's guiding principles for a building department to identify appropriate care before we make a decision. Is it going to negatively impact occupant safety, public safety, property protection, environmental protection, energy efficiency, and something that's been added in the last six, seven years, especially consumer protection. One, uh, you might not think that is, is terribly important until you've purchased a piece of property and then realize that a structure that you've purchased is gonna require $20,000 in upgrades because something was built wrong and no one knew about it. So it's important as a building department to not only verify the safety components and the environmental protection and property protection aspects, but also document it in a way that if someone purchases that property, it comes up in a title report if something's different. We need to let the person know. If you want to take the risk of purchasing this property with something that may not entirely fit into the normal process, you should be aware of what you're doing and then you know, you can make an educated decision. So that part of our job is making sure people get to make those educated decisions, not surprise them later with something. Okay, so as, as part of this uh, process, we went out to several agencies or groups. The, the primary element for me in making the decision was the fire districts because anytime we're, we're restricting or we're, we're, we're streamlining anything. We want to make sure we're not missing something that's going to make it harder to fight a fire or you know, make sure we don't miss something that's going to propagate a fire later. So we, we went to them first to see what, uh, what they were comfortable with. But we also went out to Wine Grape Alliance, Cattlemen's Association. We talked to members of the cannabis industry and our own internal industry working group, which is comprised of local uh, builders, designers, um, and a, a former building official. We've got a broad spectrum of people who, who are in this environment. And so we've, we, we had a good discussion about that. And moving it forward, we, uh, we all kind of came up with the same, same understanding of what would be acceptable. So as far as building types, based on the type of ag uses, we consider low hazard compared to other structures so for instance, it, barns, sheds, silos, horticultural buildings, greenhouses, livestock shelters, those are, um, those are low hazard because they're not really intended to have a human occupant in them all day long. Every other structure type, a worker, an employee will probably be in there most of the day. But if you're walking in and turning on the faucet and leaving, or walking in and turning on the grain, you know, the feeders and leaving, that, that, that's a low hazard. Uh, or just basic storage. This is, so for instance, uh, a tractor shed versus a tractor maintenance barn. Two distinctly different things. You expect a lot more work going on in one. You expect torches, welders, you know, a lot of, of flammable fluids. Much different than, this is why I'm parking the tractors to keep the rain off the seats, you know. So, uh, we can, we can feel pretty confident streamlining these because we're not putting human occupants at risk. 
and we're not increasing any fire loading through materials that are being stored in them. So the process changes that we can do, um, conventional construction meaning conventional light frame, basic wood building. They're basic fundamental components of a wood frame structure that are easily inspected in the field, easily understood by the builders in this community. It's, it's been done the same way for a very long time. We can boil this down to give us a site plan and a floor plan. We can verify the basics and we can get you out the door with maybe three days of routing. And now if it's an engineered structure, it does get even easier because we have an engineer designing this to meet specific engineering standards out of a whole different set of books. We know those books. We can't really comment on methodology. We are responsible for making sure that they're using the right code sections, the right snow loading, the right wind loading, that sort of thing. Those are declared in the beginning of those documents. We can say, okay, we'll take a site plan, we'll take your engineered plans, We'll make sure that, that you're using those basic numbers correctly and you're using the right calculations and we'll get you out the door. Same thing. The goal here is to get this to an over-the-counter review followed by three days of routing to the other departments to make sure we've got our fire setbacks, our, our uh, planning or zoning setbacks, that we're not in a, in a drainage protection area. You know, the, we're, we're not being reckless with the placement and the other departments will be able to take a look at that briefly and be able to sort that out. So that's where we can boil down the reviews. Once again, the, the, the focus really is zoning requirements, minimum fire code requirements, and minimum design criteria. And that's it. And then we'll get it out the door. So once again, we're trying, we're shooting for over the counter. We can even do electronic inspections. This is something that we've been tinkering with. I haven't had uh, staffing available. We're building that back. But once we have staffing available, I'd like to move to electronic inspections in some cases. Does that save time on our end? Not really. Other than saving gas to drive out there, we're still looking at a product. Electronic inspection uh, is something that we were, we were doing in my previous life, and I'm carrying that over in the same fashion. The, there is a checklist of pictures that have to be taken. There's indemnifications that need to be signed that says I'm the contractor and I'm doing this right. It, is, it has to be a licensed contractor that's doing the work. We can inspect off of a checklist and their pictures. We're still going through the time of verifying compliance. We're just not driving out there, which means they can complete the work on Saturday, take pictures of it on Saturday, send them our way, we can have it reviewed Monday morning and they can go to the next step without having to wait for us to come out and look at it. It's been really helpful in the past with roofers and in other and, uh, solar companies. We want to move forward with this and also include it in this type of streamlining to try and move things forward faster. Third-party inspections is something else that, that we can employ and we have employed, especially when there are uh, licensed engineers that are in responsible charge, they're allowed to do structural observation of their own product. And if they're following our standard, they are licensed, they are inspecting their work. In some cases, we can say, 
Give me a letter saying you're doing your structural observation. Give me your findings at the end. And we can let them do some of the inspections. Not all of them, but some of them. Especially within the, the, the parameters of their licensing. So there's also the opportunity for any customer to come in and say, I want to hire this outside firm to do all the inspections and report to you. The code allows us to do that. We do an evaluation of their business, their licenses, their certifications. We certify them as acceptable. They can do that work. Now, for most of these building types, I don't anticipate that being, uh, how you say it, very appealing because it's going to cost more money. I mean, I have to pay $88 an hour to a third-party firm when I need extra inspectors. Um, that's significantly higher than if I can employ them myself. And that would be significantly higher in cost to them to avoid having us look at it. So uh, I don't anticipate that being a big deal, but on larger projects where we have to move fast and they need to work through a weekend, this may be an option for them. We want to make that available. So the limitations. If we go outside of certain parameters, we start dancing in the realm of additional occupant hazard, additional property hazard, additional environmental hazard. So in talking with the, the stakeholder groups, we did land on these items. No human occupancy. We can't have an office built into it. We don't need a bathroom in it. We don't need, uh, we, we can't allow employee break and work areas because that implies this isn't, this isn't a non-occupied building. There's someone here doing work all day. Uh, we also need to have, the, well, I recommend the, some appropriate zoning. If this is for agricultural buildings, then I would recommend that we limit it to zoning specific to agricultural use or residential ag, you know, combined, right? Um, the maximum size, and, and the, the fire chiefs were pretty comfortable with this, 5,000 square feet to participate in this program. If you're over 5,000, um, the potential for higher fuel loading, the potential for, for uh, more uses that aren't consistent with ag, they, they go up. Um, and then limited height. So one story seems to be fair, 16 foot high max seems to be fair with the, with the stakeholder groups. And then once again, specific uses similar to Appendix C. Barns, sheds, silos, horticultural buildings, greenhouses, livestock shelters, and similar types of uses. And then no, and, and there's one thing that I want to bring out here. I, I know that there was an interest from the board to explore just streamlining metal structures. To me, um, why stop there? Um, what I'm looking for is because, because the material itself really isn't as important as the occupancy type. When you have a low hazard, um, it doesn't matter if it's wood, metal, pole barn. Um, if, if it represents a low hazard, it represents a, a, a low impact, then we should be able to treat them all the same as far as streamlining. It's going to be up to the owner of that property to take the appropriate care to make sure that the person who's building it is competent in that material. So licensed contractors are, are definitely preferred here, but um, yeah, metal may not be combustible, but it fails faster than wood. So if somebody's competent with a wood building, why not let them 
you know, fit into this uh, program. So I, I'm, I'm throwing this out that I would like, and, and the, the stakeholder groups agreed that it's fair to say, let's open it up to all material types. Now, so if our goal is to reduce the permit down to over-the-counter, it should have something similar to an over-the-counter fee. Now, we are going to have to do more review than the average over-the-counter, but not much. The, the biggest thing is the additional inspections. So if we can cut out eight hours of plan review down to an hour of review at the counter, the rest, is, the rest hasn't changed. If it's from the foundation up, there's a good chance we'll be doing three, four inspections out there. Um, so what we're looking for is something similar to an accessory building permit, but without that plan review cost. So just as a, com a comparison here, the current fee for a shed or barn is $1,455. Your board directed me three years ago in the fee study, or shortly after the, fee the first fee study was done, to recognize metal buildings as easier to review and reduce the fee to $1,212. What I'm proposing is something similar to about $785 because we're recognizing that anything ag, not just metal, anything ag, is going to be reduced review, therefore reduced fee. And then if there's any hourly rates added, uh, if there's more inspections than say three inspections, we'll pick up an hourly charge for every additional inspection. So that means that if they want a 5,000 square foot building, but they can't get all the framing done in one go, but they want to start cladding half of it as they work, they could say, hey, can I get a couple more inspections out there so we can keep this thing flowing and I can start moving stuff into the area that's complete? Okay, we can work with that. We can work with your, your program. Um, adding that level of flexibility is important. So that's really the goal, and that's what I want to try and push forward in our, our fee study that I'll be bringing to you. Uh, next board meeting uh, will include a specific fee for agricultural buildings that is reduced. I believe that's the number that we've landed on or somewhere within a few bucks. At this time, I'm ready for questions. Appreciate you bringing this forward to us, Doug. My understanding with uh, that you have the authority to be able to move forward with these things without necessarily having um, a, a vote by the board to be able to do it. You're just, but you're, I appreciate you bringing this forward to us for clarity on what board direction is. So I'll start off with that. Um, some things you brought up about when it came to metal buildings. Um, you know, part, part of the uh, debate in the past was pre-engineered metal buildings and a lot of this that you're discussing right now applies to them. Now, maybe there needs to be, you know, clarity on whether it's commercial or whether it's someone's garage that, you know, they're not going to have an office or a bathroom in. But in those cases, a lot of them are pre-engineered and they are um, also inspected by inspectors in certain cases that are outside that you you still send the inspector, you know, in which case you could accept those qualified inspectors reports, um, which was part of the debate in the past. Um, now I understand right now we're talking ag specifically. And with the ag thing, I, I'm, I'm in favor of 
99% of it and you doing this to not just help your department out, but also have, help out the ag department moving forward. Um, but as you move forward, I would like you to consider over-the-counter metal buildings when it comes to certain applications and, and accepting some of their inspectors uh, that are qualified reports when they're doing them. Other counties do it. I think we should be able to do it. And I think that it would benefit the community as a whole and a lot of our business contractors also. There, I said it. No, I, I, uh, I am uh, I would like to generating get... an answer to that. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, 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 and I, I you know, we, we've discussed this before, and I'm pretty sure you're going to be along the same lines as you were before. You know, you're pretty darn consistent, Doug. Um, but, uh, you know, I would like to find three board members to support me in that direction. Supervisor Harrigan. Thank you. Hey, Doug, thank you. I'd like to ask, what is the demand for these permits? How many do you see annually? I wish I'd have uh, prepared for that. Um, we, we typically see several hundred a year. It's one. So, so just a, I think the last time I checked, it was floating around 800, but it could be, depending on the year, it could be floating around 12 to 800 because well right now they're they're lumped in with every other garage shed anything that's being done residentially commercially agriculturally does not fit as a commercial building ends up being accessory structure and we issue a lot of them um, in fact when we're looking at the budget the 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 primary revenue generator for a building department isn't single family dwellings in a rural environment neither is commercial it's the, the smaller permit types that everyone needs so it's it's decks it's garages it's barns it's things like that that people are coming in to get those permits so this this is one of them that we see a lot of activity on so streamlining would not only be just for monetary purposes but you'd be able to process more obviously we would be able to process more yes but to that comes a price because we're reducing the workload. We're also reducing the cost. That means the the workload may go down on these. We it's it's a balancing act to make sure that we can get you know all services met. If this can be rendered down to a checklist that can be processed by a technician who's trained appropriately, then that does free up a plans examiner. Then again, it reduces the workload assigned to plans examiners and have to reevaluate how many of them we need currently. We have plenty of work for the staff that we have, I, I don't have any concerns. All right, thank you. Right there are many. Doug, thank you. Um, I appreciate the philosophy that you're taking this, trying to figure out ways to keep things moving, reduce costs and efficiency. And I think that you'll probably see more applications as it becomes easier, and, and less uh, people just building stuff uh, without applications. Um, so it's good. Quick question, uh, with the industry working group, they're okay with the maximum height of 16 feet? It's pretty, pretty low for a hay barn. Yeah. Um, well, if you, if, well, no one landed on a discussion for that item. Uh, I'm not certain we kicked that one around at length. Uh, I don't recall it coming up as a, as a topic. However, if your board wishes me to extend that roof, that mean roof height further, what number would you like me to land on? Because currently, that, that's just a recommendation. I'm open to suggestions. I, what, I, what I'm concerned about is 
a, a structure being built and then later someone putting a mezzanine in and making a second floor that we didn't know about that you know they're storing their parts and their oils and things like that so 16 if it's a little low uh, what are we comfortable with uh, i'm i'm open to suggestions i guess you know you're the building official i would ask you what the right i mean i imagine you know if ranch would want to get as high as they could to get as much hay in there as they care um, 16 feet you know, you're not gonna be able to really drive a uh, you can drive a fork in there but not very far so i don't i don't know what the right height would be uh doug well, what, i think 16 would be a little low what have you what have you seen as far as roof heights for yeah, i should have i should have taken out a, a a measuring tool this morning and seen what basic gates are on this but i honestly can't remember off the top of my head I can, I can, what we can do is we can eliminate the, the roof height requirement and just identify that they have to comply with zoning requirements for, for building and structure heights. Would that be, would that be better? I'll yeah. That. yeah, I mean. It depends on engineering sizes. <clears throat> yeah, there's going to have to be a little bit more than a site plan and a floor plan if it's not a metal building for, because of wind loads, you start getting up there um, I, I'm agreement with the 16 feet is a little bit low if you're going to use it for a barn of some type. You, by the time you put the door frame the door in there, you can. So, it's fair to say, I, I'm it's in you, 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 your plan is depending on the zoning and what's the requirements there. But it, if it gets, I think if it's over a certain height, there may be some something that <clears throat> some type of other requirement. So, so fair to say that if we're going to streamline the process, 16 feet is good for streamlining. It's not necessarily saying that we're not going to allow building. It's just that they have to go through the standard plan review. But um, if we identify that, well, so for instance, wood frame buildings, we have a height to width ratio issue. Um, usually, well, here's a good example, pole barns. Pole barns are wood. But pole barns are a different form of structure. They're going to be engineered to a fashion. They are wood, and they often clad them. Um, what's what's appropriate for height? I mean, what we can do is, by policy, we can start recognizing the industry uh, the industry standards for what is a standard roof height and guide off of that. If we see something outrageous then we can just make the call then that we should probably talk about that. If it looks like it's going to be converted into a two-story on us, that's probably a good indication that we should have a meeting with them before we make a decision to streamline that. Yeah, I think... A I little think, discretion. Yeah, a little common sense. I think Very you good. guys could see when someone's BSing you. I mean, because otherwise you're going to be arguing about what is the height of a silo versus the height of a hay barn, both of them are for storing grains. Have different sizes, and you're gonna be. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to call it a, a silo if it's 16 foot tall. Right, I, I see right. what you're saying. Very good. Right. So what we'll do is we, we we will eliminate the 16 foot from the checklist, and identify that if the building appears to be uh, appears to be something that could be readily converted into multi-story or other occupancy types, that we, you know, we have you know a pre-development meeting and discuss it in addition to this something that that uh, our planning director and i had discussed is that we really should on rather than hold up a structure because like here's a good example uh, somebody brings in a permit for a uh, a garage 
This is my garage in the backyard. Um, it's got a bathroom in it, and it has a bar sink, and it has, it looks like there's room for a refrigerator. So, okay, wait a minute, this is, and you're insulating it, and it looks like it's gonna be a, 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 an additional house. Well, no, 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 it's, it's, my, it's my garage. Well, I can't tell you it's not a garage. I would most closely identify it as a house. So we could hold it up and say, no, you gotta change some things. Or we could put a, uh, get the term, between us and planning, we put an item on the title that says, we've issued this permit as this, go ahead and use it. And then if they ever convert it and they sell it, it comes up on title as, wait a minute, you're selling this as a second house, they issued this as a workshop. You know, so there's an ability for us to put a notice on the title and let someone do what they're telling us they're doing. You know, there's your consumer protection and we're trusting the, the, the builder. And if something changes later, you know, we, we've got the appropriate care. We can move to that scenario and if it doesn't quite look right, say, okay, let's, let's just put this on the title and say we've authorized it as this so that if you ever sell it, the customer knows what they're getting. There is that option. And I strongly recommend that for a, a lot of things. I, I, I'm a firm believer on flexibility and trusting the applicant. At the same time, we got to have that appropriate care. So putting that on file is, is in my mind, a smart play. Does that sound fair? Because most people are not going to go and pull the building, see if all the building permits were completed on their property. And it just wouldn't be a reasonable. People come in weekly with, I need to get this into compliance because I'm selling it and I didn't know what I bought. So, it, so it's out there. I support the idea that all the materials too, I didn't put that in my statement. So, because you're right, things like the pole barn or metal handling. Well, there's something we're also already doing if, if we're talking about streamlining metal structures. I wanted to point out that tube steel buildings, like tube steel carports, tube steel sheds and garages, those things you can buy with a pre-engineered packet, includes the foundation system. This is how you anchor it to the ground. We've been streamlining those for years. We don't require anything special. We make sure that their wind loading and snow loading are adequate and we let it go because everything's engineered, including the foundation system. The, the, the components that I'm struggling with are when we have two different engineers. We have the engineer from the plant making you know, the steel structure is usually red iron frame. And then you have an engineer that is local who is taking that, that set of calculations and applying them to local soils conditions. There's a lot of moving parts, especially if they're putting a wood structure inside it to create an office or to create a, a, a demising wall or things like that. We run into a lot of questions. I'm struggling with trying to make sure that we catch the miscommunications between the two engineers because if there is a miscommunication and the ground shakes that's where things break so a lot of things that we can do with metal buildings can be streamlined but when we have a whole different engineer looking at a, a, a specific soil conditions every time um, i don't i i'm very hesitant to streamline beyond ag but that's not to say that we can't do it we can, you know, there's, there's other similar building types. I want to have a, you know, a 3,000 square foot building just to house my antique car collection. What else you got in there? Cars. 
No fuel other than what's in the tanks. Doing maintenance? No. Don't even have an electrical for a welder. Okay. Well, does your board want to entertain that? I mean, I can I can make those findings because they're similar. Um, I'm more hesitant to do that because homeowners store whatever they want in big buildings on their property. You know, but that there is that opportunity to discuss later if this if this program takes off and it's working well, and we don't see any. Uh, issues over time, perhaps we could we could revisit that. I'm I'm fully open to it, or your board could decide right now. You know what? Let's let's put that on the plate too. Let's talk about you know accessory structures for uh, you know residential use. I can always bring that back. I've got a couple of questions, sir. <clears throat> On your slide that says proposed process changes, reduce plan submittal under conventional construction, it says a site plan and a floor plan. Exactly what is it that you're looking for in the floor plan that has to be submitted? I mean, just a piece of paper that shows it's going to be this big. And well, I mean, I'm, because it, it, what I'm looking at is your engineered structure, the pre-engineered -metal, pre metal buildings. You want the engineered plans. But under the floor plan, are, are you looking at footings? If it's a 5,000 square foot building, 3,000, are you looking for the footings, the size of footings, the depth of the footings? Are they within all of the codes that, that's required, the, the earthquake code? I mean, it just says floor plan. I, I, I'm, people are watching. What, what, do, what do you need? in order for me to put up a conventional ag building of 5,000 feet? No, that's a really good question. So, so a floor plan, generally when we receive engineered plans, we have a floor plan as part of it. Correct. Okay. Um, with conventional, a floor plan, we can easily identify if you're going to meet general conventional light frame components based on the width of your brace walls. If you have way too many windows in there, we know you're not going to have enough bracing just by looking at a floor plan. Going beyond that, though, most of a conventional plan, everything is, is directly out of the building code for footing sizes, for, for, uh, for brace wall requirements, for connecting elements, for, for roof-to-wall connections, and your trusses are going to be engineered which means those engineered trusses landing on those walls, we can check that in the field. Good example, uh, just to scroll for a second, we're talking about uh, uh, photovoltaic solar installations. Years ago, it was so complex, we were doing a lot of review on those. It's a boiled down to a plug-and-play system. It's not much more complex than your average PlayStation. You plug it in and it works. You just, how much can you plug in and where you locate it to be safe? Easy to implement, don't need to plan check it anymore. Give us your design in the field. We can spend 15 minutes looking at that plan and get up on the roof and look at it and make sure it's done to plan. And there's a few triggers that we look for. With conventional light frame, it's been in the industry for so long and it's arguably easier now than it was seven years ago with some of the changes that were made. It's, it, should be, it should be well understood by a building inspector. It should be well understood by a local contractor. And we should be able to identify foundational elements by looking at a, at a floor plan. Going beyond that, though, 
we need some form of floor plan and site plan anyway to make sure that the assessor's office is properly notified of the square footage of these structures. Uh, Any time a permit is pulled, we're, we're providing that information to, to the assessor's office and, and values are being calculated. Just as a minimum of documentation, a floor plan is appropriate to be shared with them in addition to the site plan to show where it's located. Okay, thank you. That answers my question. I just want to make it clear that you just can't turn, people look at it and say floor plan, just okay, it's going to be this big and I'm going to put a, a little stall over here for a horse or whatever. It has to have all the documentation to meet the codes for oh, yes, the yes, type of construction. It should be to scale, there should be dimensions of windows and doors. I mean, it's we're, we're not going to accept a just a crayon sketch of this is my box. No, no, we got it. <laughs> I want to make that clear. <laughs> Very good, thank you. All right, any other questions? Are there any public questions in the room? Seeing none, are there any online? There are no online comments or questions. All right, so we'll close the public. We'll bring it back to the board. Is there any final questions? This is the informational item, so is there any other comments or questions? Doug, is there, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Chair. Go ahead. Doug, is, is there any answer that, you, that we need to resolve for you at this point? I mean, this is a great presentation. I think we're all on the same page, but is there any action that you need us to take to help you out? Well, if there's if there's any specific guidance, I mean, I the, I can I can count to four here. Um, so I anticipate that what we're doing is acceptable to your board. If there's any specific information that I need to take back, and I heard that we we need to potentially consider expanding this program, we need to potentially uh, go back to the uh, the working groups to talk about the feasibility for other types of structures. And then, you know, my understanding now is that that, that roof height restriction is not something that is going to be favorable in, in an ag environment. We're going to take that back to potential res parcel restrictions if they want to build something that looks like it can be 15 other things. Um, so I, I, I understand that your direction on that, but if there's anything else that, that you want to give specific guidance on, um, now's the time and we'll take it and run with it. Um, no, I think I think you said it all there. I mean, earlier you brought the question, you know, what what's the flavor of the board for the potential other structures? I think looking into that and expanding it is my personal opinion, and then that you know each one of the board members can answer what their opinion is on that, and we can go from there. So I'm I'm in support of you moving forward on the ag, and I'm in support as one on you expanding it to whatever is within your legal rights to expand it to when it comes to other types of building across the county. Pretty good. And I'm in, I'm in agreement with that. I think we had a conversation about certain housing types of housing that you were agreeing for that doesn't require a whole lot of review that we talked about before. We haven't brought it back, but um, I don't know if you need to bring it back, but we were in agreement on that. And I think and metal building to the direction on metal building. We're currently working on that, so to squirrel for just a moment. Um, we have two local designers who've decided to volunteer their time to help us finish designing four different square footages of pre-approved home that can be used for ADU or, or for standard home. We're working on that now. Uh, we've already had one meeting with the industry work group. They were amenable to the, the four different sizes and the use types. 
So we are uh, we're we're steadily moving forward. When we have those ready for prime time, I'll be sharing that with your board. In the meantime, for this program, we'll be writing our procedures, our our streamlined checklists. Once we have this program in the can, I'll be distributing that to your board for review. Just one other question on those four streamlined homes that you're designing: the smallest square footage and the largest square square footage. The smallest is 400 square feet. Our, our tiny home, yeah. and then uh, the largest would be 1,200 square foot. Oh, that's okay. That's great. I thank you, Doug. Uh, I'm, I'm thought of a 20th century uh, economist Schumacher who said, "Any intelligent fool can make things more complex and harder. It takes a stroke of genius and courage to move in the opposite direction." So, or, thank or you. One heck of a fool. <laughs> thank you, sir. Well, all right, Supervisor Hardy. Yeah, thank you. I just was going to say I'm in agreement with my co-supervisors. Thanks, sir. Is there anything else? Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Thank you very much. Great presentation. Good work by all the groups. Thank you. I'll pass that along. All right, we're going to take a couple minute break while he gets out of here. And then you need help. <laughs> Get out the door. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Move on to the next item on the agenda, which is supervisor's announcement in compliance with government code 53232.3D. Board members shall provide brief reports on any meetings attended at the expense of the local agency and may make or other announcements or report out. Start with supervisor stopper. Um, no meetings in the last couple of weeks. Uh, attended the McCombie Hill Fourth of July parade. Um, tremendous turnout. Uh, I don't think I've seen um, so many vendors and everybody there in McCombie Hill even since my younger days, and uh, even to the point where we had uh, Angels Camp City Council members as part of the parade and Great. everything else. So it was it was quite good and I uh, got to see quite a few people I haven't seen in quite a while. So good. tremendous. Supervisor Garamendi. Uh, we have a tomorrow, on Saturday. There's a, you're, you're on Saturday there's a uh, fire meeting in Paloma at the new fire station. It is not a uh, ribbon cutting, but rather a kind of an open house to talk about communities and uh, issues in the community. I want to thank OES for helping us to put that together, as well as Health and Human Services. Tomorrow I will attend the RCRC meeting, Golden State Connect Authority meeting, the Golden State Finance Authority, and National Home Buyers Fund meeting in Sacramento. So it'll be a full day. Sounds like it. Supervisor Hubbardy. Thank you. Uh, no meetings to report out about, but I will also add that the Arnold Fourth uh, of July parade was absolutely awesome. I got to MC. It was it was a really fun event, and um, looking forward to that next year. What does Marita know you MC did? She sat right next to me. <laughs> That's what I thought. She handed me Save the it. notes. She Save handed this. me the notes. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, there was there was there was a little, sure it's like a ventriloquist situation. Was going, and I kind of gave her the evil eye, and she kind of moved up the road a little bit, but she was still there. Of course, yeah, not getting not getting away. No. I love Marita. The best. <laughs> yeah, and I I don't have anything to report out. So. Um, CEO Teresa. 
I have nothing to report at this time. Okay. Uh, County Council, Sarah, nothing? Nothing. All right, board clerk. Nothing to report. Nothing to report. Susan, nothing from you either? Oh. <laughs> it was such a long meeting. <laughs> All right, well, with that, uh, we will stand adjourned.